1: See, it's too easy for you and I to get an attitude of it just doesn't matter to me. They just don't matter to me. Whoever they might be in your life. Maybe it's people of another ethnicity. Maybe it's, it's people on the street. Maybe it's people that are caught up in a cultic religion that come knocking on your door. You say, oh, if they would just go away and leave me alone just doesn't matter to me. I don't believe that there's a human being that God has created, that God doesn't care about, and that we should also care about. Today,
0: Pastor David tells us about Jonah's anger at God's choice to forgive the people of Nineveh. He shows us how easy it is to get into the mindset that other people don't matter or that we don't need to care about them. This is not how God calls us to act toward others, no matter how similar or different they are to us. You're called to show love and forgiveness to all the sinners in the world because you, too, are a sinner. And yet God shows you his unyielding love and forgiveness every day. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Jonah chapters 3 and 4 and Amos chapters 1 and 2 as he continues his message.
1: talking 760 or so right now, uh, B.C.? Remember, 40 years later, it's the Assyrians that come and attack the northern kingdom, Israel, and destroy it, wipe it out. What happened in 40 years? Let me ask you this. What's happened in the United States in 40 years or 60 years? You see, one generation Does not guarantee the salvation of the next generation. Amen? Amen. Number one, unless it's real in our life, it will not be passed on to the next generation. And unless it's real and unless we take an active part in it, it is not passed down to the next generation. And the next generation, God God has no grandchildren. Have you ever heard that saying? He has no grandchildren. It is children, and they are children by adoption. For the Assyrians, and what happened with Nineveh, The the revival, the repentance that took place there, apparently it only lasted for a few years. The next generation, the next leader, the next king and and ruler of Assyria did not have the same heart as this one. And we find out that, again, they went back to the wickedness, went back to the vileness of who they were. And yes, God destroyed them. God destroyed them later by, again, a coalition of nations, of of, of Babylon, of of the Medes and the Scythians that they came to them in 612 and destroyed the Assyrians at that point in time, destroyed Nineveh. They destroyed Nineveh so completely that a Greek satirist by the name of Lucian wrote this. Nineveh is so completely destroyed that it's no longer possible to stay where it stood. Not a single trace of it remains. Well, that was true during the time of the Greeks. Now, since then, the archaeologists have actually found that. They found that actually in Nineveh, it was such a great city, it had two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall for protection. Pretty well, again, uh, uh, impenetrable. The inside wall was, catch this, it was 50 feet wide. They said that they could race chariots along the top of that inside wall going two different ways. There was that much room. Not only was it 50 feet wide, but it was 100 feet tall. You wanna race chariots on top of a wall at 100 feet? I don't know, that's that's some tough people. Well, they did finally fall, but you know what? At that point in time, there was repentance. And so Jonah celebrated he sent report back to the, the main offices of, of, of their particular denomination. And he said, listen, we've got so many conversions here in Nineveh, I ought to be moved up the, the denomination. No, that's not what happened, is it? Not at all, no. As a matter of fact, Jonah got really ticked by the fact that these people repented. Can you imagine that? Seeing somebody that is so vicious and so vile And yet, because you told them, because you told, came to, you had the boldness to come, you know what? If you don't change your life, God's going to take you out. And then they changed their life. What do you do with that? I'll tell you what Jonah did with that. He had a pity party. He just kind of pulled over. And he said, well, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch and see what's going on with these guys because I cannot believe that God's going to go 40 days and not take these guys out. I can't believe that. But that's exactly what it did. It, uh, again, chapter four, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord, oh God, wasn't this what I told you was going to happen when I was still in my country? That's why I ran from you to Tarshish, for I know, catch this, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You know what? If we really know that God is that way, if we really grab hold of that, Do you you realize, man, the, the joy that can fill our hearts, the peace that can fill our hearts? Because we know, man, every time I stumble, every time I fail you, I can go back, not to the Psalms, I can go back to the book of Jonah and I can be reassured that God is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. But again, Jonah wasn't too excited about all the conversions. He says, therefore, O Lord, you might as well kill me because it's better for me to die than to live. You got to wrap your head around that mindset that he hated these people so much that to see them converted, he says, I just soon die. Hopefully, there is no one or no people group in your life, that you have that thought for. God help you if that is the case. Verse four, the Lord said to him, is it right for you to be angry? Kind of stopped it right there. Because Jonah went out from the city, sat on the side of the hill, made himself a shelter, sat under it. He wanted to wait for those 40 days, see what happened. But God prepared a plant made it come up and grow over Jonah so that it gave him shade during the day, get him out of his misery. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. Let's see, he prepared a fish before that. Now he's preparing a worm. Uh, he prepared a worm and it damaged the plant so much that it withered. And as as the sun came up, uh, the sun prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself again. And again, this is the second time. It's better for me to die than to live. Then again, God comes to him and says, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And he said, it's right for me to be angry, even to death. Jonah, I think, has an attitude problem. I don't know if you caught that or not. I think Jonah has a major attitude problem because in Jonah's life, we see absolutely no compassion. We see absolutely, uh, well, his obedience came when God strong-armed him, in essence, to doing what he was supposed to do. And because there was no obedience, because there was no compassion, guess what? There was no joy in his life. There was no joy in serving the Lord. There was no joy in the repentance of this people. None of that was there. The Lord told him, verse 10, you've had pity on the plant that you've neither labored nor made grow, which came up in the night and it perished in the night. Shouldn't I have pity on Nineveh? that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who can't discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. There's a lot of discussion as to that 120 persons that can't distinguish between their right and the left, probably being just young children, 120,000 young children in Nineveh. And do you really want me to wipe them all out, Jonah? And again, this, this is where the... The book ends, and it frustrates me that it ends there because I don't know what happened to Jonah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Jonah, by now, okay, now God's cracked through that hardness of your heart. By now, he, he got your attention. Did I really want to see 120,000 children destroyed by God? Or was Jonah one of those guys that just lurked away and said, it just doesn't matter to me? You see, it's too easy for you and I to get an attitude of it just doesn't matter to me. They just don't matter to me. Whoever they might be in your life. Maybe it's people of another ethnicity. Maybe it's, it's people on the street. Maybe, maybe it's people that are caught up in a cultic religion that come knocking on your door. and You say, oh, if they would just go away and leave me alone. It just doesn't matter to me. I don't believe that there's a human being that God has created, that God doesn't care about, and that we should also care about. The most vicious, the most vile. Can they be changed? I tell you what, if the king of Nineveh changed, I believe a man like Adolf Hitler could change. I believe that a man like President Kim over in North Korea could change. Did they or have they? No. But do we just simply wish, I just wish God would wipe them out. Why don't we just drop a big bomb on that country, wipe North Korea out, just deal with it that way. Why 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 don't we just take care of Iran and all those wackies over there. Man, why don't we just wipe them all out. You see, suddenly we've got a Jonah heart and we don't even know it, do we? suddenly we're more concerned about, again, temporary and worthless things than we are about the eternity of people. We need to be not Jonas. We need to have the heart and the compassion of God in our lives. God sent another prophet, a fellow by the name of Amos. Interesting thing about Amos is that He was a minor prophet, major message, no doubt about that. But Amos didn't go to just one country. Amos had a message for a multitude of countries. We look and we understand that he's not really a prophet by trade. I mean, he was just a workman. As a matter of fact, over in chapter 7, we read that he says, hey, look, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet. I was just a sheep herder. I was just a carpenter. I was just a truck driver. I was just an office worker. I was, you you name it, whatever, you know, because God can use whatever you're doing today for his glory. I just worked in the plant over there on that assembly line. Then the Lord told me as as I followed the flock or took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people, Israel see, God can pull us out of some places that uh, might really amaze us. We might say, man, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But you know what? God can use you if you're willing. If, you're, if you don't have the heart of a Jonah, God can use you. But the amazing thing is, God even used the heart of a Jonah. But how much better if we are willing to go? What is the message overall of the book of Amos? There's going to be a lot of, again, prophecies against a lot of nations here. Again, the destruction of these nations because of what they've done. But what's the overall message that we're going to find in the book of Amos? I believe that it's this. When all is going well, does that mean that God is in it? You see, there's a theology, not really a theology, there is a doctrine, there's a teaching going on and has gone on for years within Christianity that says God just wants to bless you, God wants to prosper you, God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, your your, your spouse good-looking, your children all obedient, just God wants to do that. And if you have enough faith, if you have it, believe it, then, then everything's gonna be wonderful and fine. But you know what? That's not true. That's just not true. Just because things are prosperous, just because things are going well, does that mean that God's in it? No. As a matter of fact, the the reality that we find in the book of Amos actually that we find throughout all the scripture is man can be successful, man can be prosperous, even while he is totally wicked and completely outside the will, the plan, and the good pleasure of God. We see that again, even in the Psalms, as the, the psalmist Asaph wrote, man, I looked around the world, and I saw all the wicked, and they were, man, all of them were prospering, and everything was going good for them. Why am I keeping my hands clean? It's a struggle he had. One of the things we know, we see, yeah, man can live in this temporary life in what appears to be great success and great prosperity. But the other truth is, and that this is also what Amos teaches us, is that judgment does come. We can try and put it off as long as we want and push it off as long as we want, but judgment does come. When we look at, again, the the countries that Amos is going to be uh, prophesying to, it's in that whole area uh, that surrounds Israel and Judah, all the nations that are there. We look over in chapter one of the book of Amos, and again, uh, he is writing somewhere around 760, about the same time as, again, the, the, the writing, the prophecy, uh, the events of Jonah. Amos is writing here at 760 BC. Uh, again, another 40 years, Israel's is going to fall. But in the meantime, there's all of these other countries. The words of Amos, who is among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Two years, by the way, it was just two years before the earthquake. You remember the earthquake, right? Uh, Actually, uh, they have determined that uh, when that earthquake probably was, and that's why they can date it pretty right on at the year 760 B.C. And the Lord said to Amos, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. In other words, during the reign of Jeroboam there in Israel, at this point in time, at 760, 40 years before their destruction, it was a great time of prosperity. Everything was going great. I mean, you just couldn't ask for a better life. In Israel, everything was going good. Uh, you, the, 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 the harvests were great. The, the, the country was gaining wealth. Everything looked really, really great. But yet now... Uh, Amos comes in and says, no, what you don't understand is the pastures right now, they're mourning in the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel, main place and also a main place of an area of of worship during that time. It it withers, again, idol worship, but not, again, not worshiping of God. But first of all, his message goes to some of the surrounding nations. He says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, and Damascus is actually found in Syria, just to the north of Israel. It's the capital city there says, for three transgressions and for four, I'm not going to turn away its punishment. They, they've threshed Gilead with implements of iron, and I will send a fire into the house of Haziel. I'll devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I'll break the gate bar of Damascus. I'll cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Evin. And, and one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, the people of Syria shall go captive to Kerr. Now, it's interesting. Kur is in the country of Assyria, and he's talking to the country of Syria. so And we find out that that's exactly what happened when Assyria, the great wicked empire, started coming down to take Israel. They had to go through Syria first, and they destroyed Syria and the people of Syria and took them captive. And then he goes down and, and he speaks uh, in verse 6 against uh, the, the transgressions of Gaza. And that's in the area of Philistia, Philistia, which is on the uh, western coastline there of the area, on the, right there on the Mediterranean Sea, where, where Gaza is right now. He says, for three transgressions and for four, I'm not gonna turn my punishment. Verse seven, he says, I'm gonna send fire upon the wall of Gaza. Uh, It's gonna devour its palaces. I'll cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod and on and on and on. He goes, they're gonna perish. Then in the verse 9, he speaks about the transgressions of Tyre. Again, Tyre was a strong harbor. Again, uh, on the northern side or just north of Israel, but again on the coastline. He says, I'm not going to turn away your punishment. You've delivered up the whole captives of Eden and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. You have to remember the, many of these countries in that area, if, if you go back to the times of the the patriarchs of the the 12 brothers and even before that to Jacob and Esau that have sprung up. There's a lot of them that are interrelated just like Israel and Judah were, just like Moab and Ammon and and Edom were. And we're gonna see that because the next one in verse 11 is Edom. Edom being on the south, the southern end of where Israel and Judah is. And again, uh, I'm not gonna turn away your punishment because you pursued your brother with a sword you cast off all pity his anger tore perpetually he kept his wrath forever i'm going to send a fire upon timon and then it's going to devour the palaces of Bozrah. And then he goes to the, the area of Amman, uh, which is in current Jordan, and Ammon being directly east of Israel. Again, I'm gonna read, verse 14 says, I'm gonna kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbah. I'm gonna devour your palaces. All of this destruction, God is promising this is gonna go because of years and years and decades and decades of wickedness that these countries have done. Now in chapter two, he speaks about the transgressions of Moab, just south of uh, Amman on again to the eastern side of Judah and Israel again, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn away your punishment because you burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. And a better translation of that was that he he took the bones of the king of Edom and threw them in a lime pit and the lime just disintegrated the bones. So it was a great desecration of, of the man's bones. And they were just doing that for meanness, for vileness. And again, that was part of the, the wickedness. He says, I'm going to send fire upon Moab. I'm, I'm going to devour your palaces there people are going to die in a tumult there's going to be shouting and trumpet sound. i'm going to bring that judgment against you verse 4 of chapter 2 he says for three transgressions of who judah okay so now we're coming now we're bringing it home yeah we, we've gone around we've hit all these countries many of them related down the line to the people of israel now we're coming to judah for three transgressions and for four I'm not going to turn away my punishment against you either. Why? Because you've despised the law of God and you've not kept his commandments. Now stop with me for a moment. And i We've got to be quick here, but I see this. Despising the law of God, not keeping his commandments. You know what? God is ranking that right up there with those that have gone and, 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 and murdered and, and ravaged and destroyed people's lives. He says, well, he's a murderer. He's, he's, he's a wicked, he killed somebody. God says, yeah, but you're not keeping my commandments. You, your heart isn't mine. For three transgressions and for four, I'm not gonna turn that punishment away. He says their lies lead them astray. Lies which their fathers followed. They were following after the teachings of these false idols and and the, and the doctrines of these demons, literally. He says, I'm going to send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Now understand, this is going on at 760 B.C.
0: Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for It. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you.
1: Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page,
0: See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word. Make a